Genesis 4, 16 through 26. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mehujalel, and Mehujael fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and live and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubalcane. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubalcane was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help to make us see, hear, and want to know you through your word and the power of your spirit. Please remind us of and restore to us the joy of your salvation that's found only in the precious life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our great Lord and Savior Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know there's a law of the jungle, there are several, but there's one law that when you wake up in the morning, there's one thing you've got to do if you're a jungle animal, and that's run. You're either hungry, looking for your food, or you're going to be the food. But one thing you know, you're going to be running. Life in this fallen world, there's a restlessness to it. It seems as if, like Bruce Springsteen used to sing about, we were born to run. And we're running, but why? Just like Cain, running. We know there's more to this life, that's why. Just running, always running. Why is that? Well, look at your scripture sheets. Ecclesiastes 3.11 gives us a hint. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There is something in us that we know is missing because we were made for eternal glory. And we are always trying to fill in the blank. What goes in that blank? What goes in that empty place? 
We know we were made for glory. But we fall short, as Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know it. Romans 1.21, for all they, though they knew God, this means all men born everywhere at all times, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, which means useless in their thinking because they didn't honor God. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, they kept thinking foolish thoughts and to the point where their hearts just totally closed down on them and they got cynical. Yeah, maybe we're made for more, but that's where the human heart goes. There is no glory. I know I want it, but it ain't out there. Kind of looks bad for us, doesn't it? Except the main idea of this text is that the Lord gives us two kinds of grace, common grace and saving grace. Now, saving grace is only for a certain amount of, certain amount of people in history, not for everybody. Everybody does get common grace. That's why it's called common. So the central point of this passage is that while the Lord is kind to all, he has one people in mind, the seed or the offspring of the woman, like he said in Genesis 3.15. So in what ways does the Lord's grace serve his people? Well, the Lord's grace serves his people in two ways. Common grace sets the table for salvation, and we see this in verses 16 through 24. And saving grace brings the meal of salvation, verses 25 and 26. So we're going to look at the, one of the first way that the Lord's grace serves his people. Common grace. It sets the table for salvation. And the first thing we notice is that the setting for common grace is in a direction. If you look at the end of verse 16, east. East of Eden. Now, if you look up just a few paragraphs, maybe just not too far, over in Genesis 3.24, which way was the man and the woman sent out of the garden so they would not partake of the tree of life? They went east. It's a very important direction in the Bible. Now, we'd be tempted to think that this is myth, but it's not. The Lord does things in history, and history is of supreme importance. There are only three world religions that history really matters to. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Christianity, it matters to the most. That's why when I preach Genesis, I preach it as history the way it's written. A bunch of men think they're smarter than God. They're not. Let God be true. Let all men be liars. This really happened. This is not just a moral tale for us. This is God doing surgery, showing us what our hearts are apart from him. Apart from his, even his common grace, which he works to restrain our evil so that not every, even though we believe in total depravity, that means that sin has infected every part of us. Not everyone is as evil as they could be. Cain came pretty close. One of the most evil men that ever lived. Probably, in my mind, he comes close to taking that number one spot. We just don't know enough of his history. Everybody wants to say Hitler. Yeah, he was evil, no doubt. 
Cain. I think he might have he might have outdone Hitler. So here's the question. We're all in Adam banished, sent out east of Eden from the garden. Why? Well, we sort of got to reverse engineer what's going on here and interpret it. So what happened here? Well, in verse 16, the beginning, we see that Cain is running. He went away. And we see why up in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4. He was cursed from the ground. Verse 12, the ground will no longer yield its strength for Cain. Which puts Cain in bondage. Real bondage because the ground was already cursed because of Adam. So we had to work even harder. Cain had to even work harder than that. God is just trying to reflect to him, this, is exact, this outside world is exactly the way your heart is. You are restless. You, you are on a never-ending treadmill, going nowhere, doing the same unhelpful thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's hell. It's a taste of hell. And so there's a futility about what Cain is doing. There's a uselessness to his life because he's running away from the presence of the Lord. And so he tries to solve it on his own and he gives this, this really kind of ironic statement. He settled in the land of Nod. Settled. First, because it's almost like Cain is saying, make it stop. Make this craziness stop. Well, how does he do it? He can't make it work. Why? Because the ground isn't yielding its strength for Cain. That's why he's running all over the face of the earth. So he figures, let's just settle down. And you think about Abel, what his name meant. Fleeting, airy, poof, he's gone. And here's Cain. And his insides are just the same way. Airy and fleeting, wandering and running all over the place. And he can't make it stop. He can't make it work. How can he? Because he's not the one that the Lord had in mind. So he settles. And what does that settledness look like? Well, this is where common grace kind of kicks in. Cain knew his wife and she bore, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Of course, this word knew is an intimate kind of knowing. Cain still has the grace of reproduction. That's common grace. People, unbelievers all over the world have this. And then we get this smart aleck question. Well, who was Cain's wife? It's obvious it was his sister, more than likely. Look at 524. We're all descended from Adam, right? Chapter 5, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 4. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had what? Other sons and daughters. We were all descended from Adam there. Acts 17.26, you see, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And then later, though, there was this law. So a lot of people had to throw this law up in, every, in Christian's face. In Leviticus 18.9, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. What's this about? After the fall which brought death, we're going to see that in a minute, to everywhere. In science, you look at genetics, and there are these mutations, which Darwin thought was the basis of all his theory of evolution. But the mutations don't go in an upward fashion. The mutations almost always 
bring people back. And what happens is, is that when you get a concentration of close family members that are married and they have children, the bad genes tend to get concentrated. And God in his grace later said you cannot marry your close, close relative because that concentrates the bad genes in one particular group. Look at what it says in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, notice that Paul thinks that Adam is historical. Very important to Paul. And everything he thinks, not just about Adam and Genesis, but what he thinks about Jesus too. You can't have Jesus without Adam. You just can't, because Paul put them together. Actually, God did through Paul. So sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. We all sinned in union with Adam. But thank God for Jesus, when we get, when we get united to Christ by faith, we're no longer counted sinners. We're justified in his sight. But look at where this settledness takes Cain. He has this birth, and then the city... Now, when he says city here, he's not talking about like city like we think of it. Not even ancient big cities. Basically, he's just building some walls to settle. I'm going I'm to keep everybody out, and I'm going to work this area. Even if I have to work twice as hard, I'm just going to limit the area I'm going to work on and stop the wandering on my terms. So while cities are a good step in this common grace that God is helping to develop Various things which we'll see in a minute. We see in this naming of the city after his son, pride. And it's the foreshadowing of what's coming in chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, which we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> but God is kind to let these things develop. It's actually for his children that these things develop. And the rest of the world gets to benefit because we're here in the world. Because we are the apple of God's eye. You see this busyness of Cain's wandering, going away from the presence of the Lord. And God, in his grace, grants marriage and building. And therefore, there are specific products that come from this general direction east of Eden. First of all, we see the generations of verse 18. And all these generations are characterized in that away and wandering motion east of Eden. And then we see... Something for better and something for worse. For better, we see common grace in the fact that Mr. Lamech Cain did marry. So marriage is continuing, verse 19. And that there's a family, but not only a family, there's a legacy here. First of all, Adah, verse 20. She bore Jabal, and Jabal started the whole franchise called Good Nomadic Living. Maybe had a magazine that went with it. People who live in tents. And he kept livestock. You know, Abel did that. But this is a new kind of keeping of livestock because Abel was killed. And then you see Jubal. He begins the musical instruments that we all enjoy. And then Zillah bears Tubalcane. And he's a, a smither. Is that what you say? Either a blacksmith or an ironsmith. Whatever it is. So all the iron works, they start right here with Tubalcane, common grace. And then Naama, the daughter, her name means pleasant, which probably means she was pretty. So she just sat around looking pretty. So that's for better, but for worse. This is the underscore that this is not saving grace. This is common grace, but 
In common grace, sin is very evident. First of all, this is the first polygamous marriage. To look at Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Not wives and many sets of one flesh. His wife, singular. But Mr. Lamech Cain, he's, so, he's such a hot shot. He's got two of them. That's his mentality. He's, you notice how he says, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. You see little hints of the kind of man this is. He's got this narcissistic focus on me mentality. First of all, he's got his, e his easy audience. His wives aren't going to push back on him in any way. And he, he writes this song. It's poetry. Might be the first gangster rap song ever. And I like rap music, but this is gangster rap. This is like me. I can, I can take you out. Which is basically what he said, right? It's a song of edification of himself. You see it, it's typical Semitic Hebrew parallelism here. Hear my voice, listen to what I say. So you have Cain the whiner giving rise to Lamech the braggart. And then you have not only the first polygamy, focus on me, but this far out revenge. This is overkill. That I say, I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. And then he even brags about his punishment. Like he's saying, come on, God. If Cain's punishment was sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And to contrast that attitude with the heart of what a believer should have, look at Matthew 18, 20, 21 through 22. Then Peter came up to him, came up and said to him, meaning Jesus, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And some versions translate that 70 times seven. See the exact opposite of Lamech here. Exact opposite direction. Common grace cannot yield the graces that accompany the gospel. The graces of compassion, of patience, of seeking to reason together. No, we just got to yell at each other. And if I don't like you, if you're staying in my way, I'll take you out one way or another. I'll cancel you, or somehow you'll be disappeared in some regime, quote-unquote, disappeared. So common grace is the image of God with eternity in their hearts. They're empty hearts with eternity trying to fill in the blank, but their sin, which brings death, which is separation from God, Forever. That's all it can be because God is eternal and we're very aware of that. And so what does this leave us with, common grace? Well, it sets the stage for one because we get all these benefits, the musical instruments, the, and Christians can do all this stuff too, the, the tents, the livestock, all of those things. But there's a frustration because these people are constructing their own identity. It's all on them. And it's like the Rolling Stones said, you can't get, always get what you want. And so what does it lead to? This frustration. It leads to fighting. Because I can't get what, you, what I want, and I see you getting what you want, well, I'm going to get in your face. Look at what James 4, 1 through 2 says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
In other words, you're trying to construct your own reality, make your own heaven on earth, and someone else is stepping on your toes. And I'm not pointing at anybody here. I'm going to say you is me too, okay? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Do you see how that works? Does that not sound like Lamech? Now, we may not murder outright unless we're pushed to it. Thank God we don't ever get pushed to it, hardly ever. And I'm not saying everybody would. But that's where it ends because Jesus said if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, have you ever seen someone that walked in the room and say, oh, why are they here? That's the first thought of a murderer. A murderer had to think that or they wouldn't have done what they did. So you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not humble yourself to let God construct the reality, not just construct, but present to you what his world really is, because he made it. And you're his son, and you're his daughter. So yes, as Christians, we fight with these things. With the flesh, we got to be reminded. Humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So how can we begin to get this right? Well, common grace sets the table, but it's like a table with all the food in the middle, and all the plates are empty, and all the utensils are just lying there. That's what common grace does. See how frustrating it is? And then you ask the preacher to pray for the meal, and you get really frustrated. Can't you just say, like, you know, five words and be done? A little preacher joke. But. In fact, that it's while common grace shows us that the Lord is kind to all, it really only serves his people that he has in mind, the seed of the woman. Because we see that it's all coming to this. The saving grace brings the meal of salvation. How? Well, while men have been busy with all their stuff of dreams that will die with them, God's been at work resurrecting his people. Look at verse 25. As a whole, his people are being resurrected because Abel was killed. And God said, no, I'm going to get another one. Seth. As the rest go from bad to worse, we got Seth, and what is Seth all about? Well, his name means appointed one. God appoints Seth. It's God's sovereignty. He is not going to allow a time on earth where he will not have a people. The gates of hell will not prevail against his people. And by the way, that's the gates of hell, and that's a defensive position for the minions of hell. The church is on the offense. It may not look like it to the world. We don't look like much. We have a bunch of words, this message of the gospel. Wow, so powerful. Well, yeah, really. God's been at work resurrecting his people. Look how Eve points out that Cain killed Abel. But God must fill this promise, must fulfill this promise that he's going to have a seed of the woman. God does not give up on us. God's not only been at work resurrecting his people, he's been at work multiplying his people. Look at verse 26. Cain has a son. And it's going to lead right into chapter 5, a whole new section of how God develops this godly line, even in the midst of, although a lot of them go bad over time, and we'll see that. It reminds me of this old song by a group called Silver Convention way back in the middle of the 70s. They wrote these really dumb songs that had like eight words in them total. One of them was more, more, more. How do you like it? How do you like it? Well, that's what God is doing. More, more, more. 
He's growing his people. Seth, Enosh, people. And what's he doing? Their identity is fixed. They don't have to construct their identity. They know who they are because they know whose they are. And so they worship him. Look at verse 26. That's when, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, there is a translation issue here, not, not a big deal. It works both ways. That can also be translated, at that time, people were called by the name of the Lord. But either way, if you're called by the name of the Lord, you're going to call on the name of the Lord. So that's your identity and your worship right there. You are God's people through the work of his Son, There is no other way to come to the Father except through me, Jesus says. All these things, even back here with saving grace, is in a sense giving us the appetizer for the real meal with the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So as common grace only helps us so far, but then leads to frustration and fighting, and we got to go looking for something else. So you know what saving grace leads to? Plundering and peace. Plunder. The church gets to live out of the benefits of common grace, regardless of who puts the things out there. Most of us have smartphones. I don't know how many people that work on these smartphones are believers. I tend to think not many. That's just my opinion. If you can disprove it, fine. I'll be be happy to be a bunch of believers doing this. But we all benefit from it, right? What you have to see is that these people have no meaning ultimately for their lives. But the glory of God gives the meaning of all this stuff. And we're not to crave these things like the world craves them. Because this is their salvation. It shouldn't be ours. Look at what it says in Exodus 3. This is when they were getting, God was preparing. Way back in Exodus 3, preparing for that Exodus, he tells Moses to tell all the women, go to all the Egyptian women. I'll give you favor in their sight. Just go there and ask them for their jewelry and all this, and they'll give it to you. And they did. And look at how it ends there. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. So we don't have to be afraid of non-Christian stuff. We need to think biblically when they speak, because they're speaking as haters of God. And God's put his love in our hearts. So we got plunder. So we we get what we ask for, even more than what we need. We get what we want in many ways. And Even if we lose that, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't deserve that. And so we have peace. You know, I talked about Cain trying to settle in the land of Nod, which Nod, again, means wandering. It's ironic, right? Got to settle where I wander. But the context of God's glory over self-glory brings peace. I'm not having to construct it. God has told me what these things are, what they mean. We owe him everything. Yes, we fall short, but he's got the seed of the woman. He's not giving up. He gives us all we need for salvation and common grace to prep us, and then which gets us to frustration and fighting. And we need peace and rest. And look at what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, not from yourself, not from the world, not from the devil. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And I think he proved that, didn't he? All the way to the cross. And you will find what? Rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Where is all this headed? 
Here's the vision, folks. Where is common grace and special saving grace going to meet together? Look at this vision in Isaiah 11:6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. They're not running anymore. They're eating together the herbs that God prescribed in Genesis 1:30. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. How can the lion do that? The lion would want to tear that thing apart in this fallen world. But that's where we're heading. Common grace, special grace, heading together. Because you and I and all that name the name of Jesus, even before he came, are the apple of his eye. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for the joy of knowing you, of knowing that you are at work in us to will and to do for your good pleasure will yield into such a glorious peace. We ask for your work to continue and give us hearts that run away from our sin and wandering to this precious peace and rest that we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.